Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand we might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Warren Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady, we're sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So this week's topic is, should I become a digital nomad? And being a digital nomad historically has had a certain meaning. It's now evolved, I think, particularly in in lieu of in the wake of the pandemic or as we're in this what I call a trans pandemic period here and, and but but historically a digital nomad referred to somebody who would wander from usually from country to country though not necessarily but but would wander from country to country um, you know doing their thing but but visiting spots wherever they felt like and often would not stay long enough to um, to run afoul of local immigration laws. And most countries let you stay in a place for about 90 days or so before they want you to either you know, register for some sort of permanent residency or um, um, get the heck out of there. Um, and, and there are others that do it domestically. Interesting, Rod Burkert, who was a guest on one of our early podcasts, um, has been living with his wife in a recreational vehicle for the last decade or so, I think. And so they're they're constantly... Uh, moving about uh, the country. I don't know if they've ever crossed over to Canada or Mexico. I'll have to ask them about that. But certainly they would qualify as a digital nomad. But historically, being a digital nomad has has been associated with somebody who has gone outside, who has left the country, um, or has or is working from outside the country where their principal employment is at least nominally located. And you know, a, a few things kind of bring this to the forefront. Um, number one, the, the the pandemic has forcefully, I think, taught us a lesson that most of us, particularly in the professional services world, really can work from anywhere. Um, I'm going to tell you that I think I have met fewer than 50% of my clients in person. It may be down to 25%. Um, they they just don't need to see me. Uh, certainly seeing me in person adds no value on any level. And while people in my world will sometimes do site visits to an appraiser company, I don't do a lot of those because I work with tech companies. And and all I would do is I'd basically show up and I'd see I'd see some cubicles and conference rooms and maybe a ping pong table or something. So there's really not much not much use to doing a site visit. I mean, I wouldn't even you don't even see servers anymore. Everything's on the cloud. So I'm fortunate that, you know, I, I can I truly can work from anywhere and that's been demonstrated. But I think a lot of people are finding out that they truly can work from anywhere. Now, not everybody wants to do that. I, I know many people that are yearning to go back to the office. They, they like having their work set up. 
separate. They like having sort of the permanency of, of a workspace. And look, not everybody's home is well set up to work from home. If you have kids and you're trying to work in your kitchen, your kitchen table, <clears throat> boy, that, um, my hat's off to you. That, that, that is not easy. Um, but you know, we're finding out that, that we can do that. And, and of course, you know, I think every time we have massive social upheaval, every time we have an election cycle, there's somebody who's happy with the outcome. There's somebody who's not happy with the outcome. And, you know, a lot of them say, well, I'm going to emigrate. Um, which in most cases is madness because frankly, most comp- most countries don't want us there. Um, it's, it's, it's not that easy to immigrate to most countries, particularly, particularly ones that we would consider developed. Now in other countries, it is easier. Um, some countries in Central America, Eastern Europe do make it easier to a certain extent. We're going to talk about that. So, you know, the option is there, but you know, it's, it's not that easy to, to, to pick up and move. And, and um, but I do think there's a certain romanticism about it. I'm, you know, I'm seeing more articles about being a digital nomad. I'm seeing more articles about um, going to a place like the Republic of Georgia or to Estonia or um, to Portugal, where a lot of re- American retirees are going. And of course, there's a lot of interest in Central America where, you know, the, the American cultural presence has been there for quite some time. And some of those countries even still use the U.S. dollar as their currency, or at least have their currencies pegged to the U.S. dollar. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of people are at least sort of thinking about it. You know, could we pack up and move? Maybe not for the rest of my lives, but maybe we, maybe we do it for a year. And, you know, we enjoy a beach on the Caribbean and, and we enjoy, a, a, you know, a, being in a different culture. And we enjoy maybe there's, maybe there's some, some economic benefit to, to living a lower cost of living or in some cases simply a simpler lifestyle. So I think there's a lot. I think that's an interesting topic. I certainly, I certainly find it intriguing. And, and joining us today to, to talk about this is my friend Maria Joyner, who is co-founder of Founderscale, a B2B marketing and sales operations agency that helps B2B organizations drive revenue utilizing marketing technologies like HubSpot. She hails from one of my favorite cities in the planet, which is Savannah, Georgia. Well, Thunderbolt to be, to be exact. And she'll have to tell me where Thunderbolt is. I've lived in Georgia for 18 years. I have no clue where Thunderbolt is, except I gather it's near Savannah. Maria is an, is an accomplished marketing technologist, an entrepreneur that is living her dream in Costa Rica. And she and I go back to the, the old startup lounge day. She knew me before I had gray hair. Um, prior to moving to Central America, Maria spent 10 years in Atlanta studying and growing technology startups. She took her previous company, signapp.io. By the way, one of the first companies to do, to do a .io before everybody thought it was cool, an email deliverability startup from pre-revenue to $2 million in annual sales in less than 18 months. As, as founder and entrepreneur of this, um, of this company, um, she's leading a team that understands that business growth is tied directly to the ability to drive sales. Maria Joyner, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So Maria, you were here. And then I, I remember, um, I mean, not, not in a way that's like traumatic or anything, but I do, I do remember because I, I, I looked at it with such admiration um, when you left and, and sort of one day from my perspective, I mean, we're not, we're not the best friends in the world, but we know each other. And, and frankly, one day you were here and then it seemed like the next day you popped up and said, Hey, I've moved to, I've moved to Central America, uh, adios or something like that. So how long ago was that? And where exactly in Central America did you move to? 
Yeah, so it was about five years ago that I that I took the leap to leave the states and move to Costa Rica. So I'm located in Costa Rica, um, in the Guanacaste region uh, near uh, Lake Arenal. So a lot of people may be familiar with the Arenal volcano. It's the perfectly pyramid shaped volcano in Costa Rica. Is that volcano active? I hope it not. Is- it is an active volcano, but it is in a period of inactivity since, uh, I think, 2011, 2010. Um, but it hasn't had a huge explosion since 1968 when, okay. um, yeah, there was a very large explosion. They didn't actually know it was a volcano in 1968. So how is it that you chose to move to, to Costa Rica as opposed to someplace else? So when I was part of Sinapio, um, I came to visit Costa Rica for a couple of days with a, a, f- a friend of mine has a group travel company called Under 30 Experiences. So it's small group travel, eight to 12 people, and they focus on going to places that are locally owned, self-sustainable, um, that focuses on e- ecotourism. And so I went with them to a Costa Rica rainforest retreat, uh, which was a located at a permaculture farm off the grid, self-sustainable near La Fortuna, Costa Rica, near the Arenal volcano. And I was there a few days and I was really fascinated by how everything worked. Like I wanted to see what was underneath the hood. You know, I was like, they, they, they grew everything they eat. They, they support guests who come through here. Um, their whole design works in unison with nature. And I was really fascinated by, by these natural systems that work together. You know, we work with technology systems all the time and we create systems, but I was really fascinated how they can work so in such unison with nature. So after that visit, I decided to make it a company-wide perk at Synapio that anybody in the whole company could work from wherever they wanted. Uh, it was June of 2015. And it was essentially so I could come back to Costa Rica and volunteer on the farm. Uh, so it was really self-serving. And so I came down here. One month passed. Two months passed. Three months passed. My co-founders were like, Maria, what the hell is going on? And um, I decided it was time to come home. Came back and tried to just fall back into my life, you know, fall back into duties of a VP of marketing and growth and, and, and all of that. And I just was somewhere else. And uh, my co-founders sat me down and they were like, look, it's all over your face. You're, you're somewhere else. Just go. And so with that, I had the permission to, uh, to make, to make a big life change. Now, when you did that, did, were you still able to retain your role with the company or did, did you have to exit the company at that point? Yeah, so it, yes, I, I exited the company. Um, one of the challenges that we ran into at the off-the-grid self-sustainable farm was the internet. The internet was yeah. solar-powered. So you have solar-powered <laughs> internet in the middle of rainy season, which is, I mean, basically June through through November, depending on where you are in the country, and there isn't much internet. And so I wasn't necessarily able to perform my duties, you know, the last month I was there because it was peak rainy season, which, you know, it let it, it made that argument very difficult to make that, oh, yeah, I can move to Costa Rica and continue running the company. Interesting. And, and now that you've been there five years, is, is, is it any better? The internet, I mean? 
Yes. Yes. So when I moved down here, I was able to get satellite that I think maxed at five megs. And I thought that that was just awful. Um, And then I moved uh, to another farm and the internet maxed out at three megs. And I thought that was just awful. And where I've lived the past year and a half, it maxes out at two megs. However, um, Costa Rica over the past few years has been putting a lot of effort into building out the fiber optic infrastructure. And so place, so where I'm at right now, I actually rent an apartment really close to my house that gets fiber optic so we can have conversations like this. And so I can uh, have a productive work week, um, but, but locations that are more uh, appealing to tourists have excellent internet here. Hmm. Like at the beaches that you're looking 50 to hundred megs, sometimes 200 megs in places. So you're, I didn't know the full background of the story. So, so you, you, you moved down or you, I'm sorry, you visited Costa Rica with the intent of learning about basically a way of life. And it sounded like you kind of accidentally fell in love with it. It doesn't sound like it was your intent that you were necessarily intending to leave the country and live elsewhere at that time. Oh my gosh, absolutely not. I was so happy with my life in the States I, ha- I love the team and we, I was loving the journey that Snapio was on. I love the team we built. And I thought, I mean, in my mind, I couldn't have, if you had asked me before I came to Costa Rica, like, what would you do in your life to make, you know, to make it better or happier? I would have said nothing. And I came when I, the first time I, I remember the first, I remember stepping off of the, stepping, stepping off of the van, like out of the van and onto this farm. And I almost felt like somebody grabbed my soul and shook it. Like I had this just huge, just, whoa, where, what is this place? And what is this? Just, what is this? And after, after seeing Costa Rica, I, there was just no going back. Like I had seen just a whole different way of life and that wasn't my intention. And I wanted to go back and sort of just carry on with life how it was. But I guess once, you know, once that whiplash is so strong, it just never goes back to being the same. And, and- you know, to, to, to me, it, it sounds like you're exposed to two things at once. And I'm curious if there's separate, if there's a way to separate the two or not, you're exposed to a permaculture way of life, which I guess theoretically could, could occur any place if you have the community to drive and sustain it. And of course, you're also in a foreign country, Costa Rica, which has its own, own culture, traditions, language, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm curious, did you ever, did, did you, did you give any thought to exploring whether or not actually I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase this question. Did, did, have you ever given thought to whether or not it was the permaculture that drew you or the, the Costa Rican ex, cultural experience that drew you or were they so intermingled that it, it you either can't tell or it doesn't matter? The permaculture is what drew me and the Costa Rican experience is what sold me like that. That was the Kool-Aid that I drank. And and what was I'm curious. Well, I've never been to Central America. What 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 was it about the Costa Rican experience that 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 was the Kool Aid? The people. Um, there is a, and obviously, you know, you we can't be general and say the people, but people are happy here. They have they, the 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 Costa Rican motto is "Pura Vida," which means the pure life. And I mean, as a tourist, maybe it gets overused, but at locals, good morning, goodbye, how are you? I'm good. 
Porta Vida is the you know, the two words that that say it all, and it's really evident in the way that people live their lives. You know, I think of you know some examples. For example, if you are in a bank waiting for two hours because that's normal here um, to make a deposit, nobody is stressed out. Nobody is looking at their watch. Everybody is Porta Vida, um, and not just that. People like people who live here love this country. They love all the natural wonders it offers. They, they love to show tourists the country. And I guess with that being said, I think that the, you know, Costa Ricans don't necessarily treat Americans in a, in a way that isn't uh, welcoming. I've been to other countries that I have been treated, like been uh, treated in a way that it was very obvious that I was not wanted there. And I think Costa Rica really embraces um, tourism and they love showing people their country. And so I think that this just laid back, but not too laid back way of life is really what, what fast, like really what keeps me here because I'm, I'm a product of my environment. So whatever environment I put myself in, that's, that's what's going to, that's what the output is going to be. And so if I've been, if I am in a high pace, high stress environment, I'm going to be high pace, high stress. And so one of the things I realized by Taking doing the exact same things I was doing in the United States and moving them here to Costa Rica from a work perspective is I was able to remove that high stress and continue the high pace, but with low, I want to say no stress, low stress here just because of the environment around me. So you initially went down, you weren't, you weren't planning on staying, you fell in love with the place, came back. And then it sounds like at that point, you decided that when you were going, you were going for good. What was that process from sort of that day until you you landed in Costa Rica with whatever belongings you had? What was that process like? How long did it take you to execute? All right. So I remember it was October, maybe it was October 21st, uh, 2015. And I remember turning to, I had a board at the time and I'm like, we have to go. We have to move to Costa Rica. It, it has to happen. And he was like, okay. And so that was October 21st. We landed here, I think it was January 23rd, 2016. And so once I made the decision at the end of October to, to make everything happen, I c- contacted two of the friends that I made when I was volunteering at the permaculture farm, told them I, I mean, Everybody at the farm knew I wanted to move there. So I just was like, yeah, I'm moving. It's happening. And I asked if they could help me find a place to live that has internet that could support you know, what I needed to, to do marketing technology work. And, um, and then I just started the process of selling my stuff. And it took, you know, I think the biggest, the most helpful thing to me was having feet on the ground, was having somebody who was local finding a house for me, talking to the telecommunication companies, uh, because if you think telecommunication companies are difficult in the United States, try coming down here. <laughs> um, and so that was a huge help to me. And I came, I flew, I flew to Costa Rica December 11th, uh, 2015. All of this is so embedded in my mind. So it was such an impactful time. And I came down here for about 11 days to look at the house that I was going to move into. But essentially, it was just a trip to travel on the country and see more of the country. And um, so I got everything in order in December. Uh, the house looked good. Talked to the owner. It was all great. And then, yeah, we flew back in January. We came back in January. So a couple of things really helped us. The first thing is, is the home you're living in 
the owner of the home told us to leave anything we didn't want to take or we didn't want to sell. So that was a, uh, I don't know that we would have been able to pull this off if we had to sell and get rid of everything in our house. Uh, so that was a, a first thing that was a huge benefit. The second thing was um, I actually paid a friend to fly down with us so we could bring four more suitcases. Because really? Yeah. So shipping, shipping is like five or $10 a pound. Think of a cast iron pan, like yeah. a cast iron pan to get that down here. We're talking like 25 bucks. Right. So, um, so I actually paid a friend to fly down with me. So it was cheaper to buy her plane ticket. And we flew Southwest because Southwest has two free check bags. Um, and it was cheaper for me to pay for her plane ticket. Um, I, I can't, I think it was just one way. It may have been round trip than to ship everything. Um, and that is kind of what we did. And we also, we had, we, I brought two dogs with, with me. So uh, they were emotional support animals, so they sat under the under the seat in front of us. Uh, so it was a super smooth trip once we got on the plane. However, two days before we were set to fly out, I got a phone call from my friend because we were going to fly Atlanta, Baltimore, um, Atlanta to Baltimore, Baltimore to Houston, and Houston to Costa Rica. Because that's that's this that was a Southwest uh, route at the time. Well, I got a call from my friend. She's like, "Did you not see that there's been a huge blizzard in Baltimore and all the airports are closed down?" I was like, "What?" No, so, I did not see that. <laughs> yeah, and I, in my mind, I thought there is nothing that's going to keep me from flying out and going to Costa Rica in two days. And so I changed all of our airline plans. There was actually a uh, not a blizzard in Atlanta, but all the all the roads were iced over in Atlanta. So we actually rented a car drove 11 hours to Houston so we could fly out of Houston direct to Costa Rica and still end up like making our original flights. So it was a, it was a pretty smooth process until that last two day scramble at the end. And then once we landed, it was just smooth sailing. Now, how about getting a visa? Was that, was it, was it difficult to get, to obtain a visa that would allow you to, to stay there long-term? So for the past five years, uh, basically what I've had to do, well, the past four years, what I've had to do is cross the border every 90 days to get a renewed visa. So in Costa Rica, they allow you to stay 90 days. And then all you have to do to renew your visa is cross into another country and come back. They don't have, unless you're making, unless you're purchasing things, you don't have to stay like three days or anything. I mean, usually immigration makes you stay an hour on uh, whichever side it is, whether Nicaragua or Panama. And um, you pay just a small, a small fee to exit, a small fee to come back in, and then you're good for another 90 days. They do require that you show an exit ticket with those. So, you know, you can buy like an airline. I mean, some people buy airline tickets and then cancel them um, just so they have something to show immigration uh, when they come back in the country. But after doing that for so many years, probably about a year and a half ago, two years ago, they started just being a little more difficult at at immigration coming into Costa Rica, they're like, you've been doing this for the past four years. You either need to file for a permanent residency or um, we're going to, we're not going to give you your full 90 days. And so, you know, never really had any issues. They made some comments like that. And so um, after, after that happened a couple of times, I decided it was time to start exploring uh, permanent residency. And, And once you decided to do that, how difficult was that to obtain? Uh, well, <laughs> I had a good friend of mine that I had known since we were working at, at the ranch and he had been working with me and I, I had been joking for years, like, why don't we just get married? So I, you know, don't have to cross the border. And in this time of us joking about this, I guess we fell in love. And so we ended up getting married. Um, 
I, I always tell people it was for residency, but we actually do love each other. Uh, so I got married and that's, that is that between, there are multiple ways to get permanent residency here. The first way is a rentista, which is you rent here. And I think the process is something like you put 60 grand in a bank account, you don't touch it for five years and then you have residency. I think that's one way. The other way is investing. So if you make an investment of $250,000 or more, you can get residency. And I believe since COVID, they have lowered that number substantially. I think it's either 200 or 175 now because they're trying to encourage people to um, take up permanent residency. You can get it through marriage. You can get it through having a child or you can get it through retiring um, here. So um, you like a U.S. retiree can live here off of their Social Security and they have a Costa Rican offers a path for people to come down and retire here. So we chose I chose the the marriage route, because that was the, that made the most sense to me. And it sure. is the least expensive. Uh, and yeah, so I, um, that we got married, uh, let's see, two years ago, it'll be two years ago. So coming up on the third year, I'm also able to file for on nationalization, which would mean that I could get dual citizenship between Costa Rica and the United States. So when you moved down, I mean, did, did you have any exposure to Latin America? Did you happen to speak Spanish? Was there anything that gave you a head start in terms of, of assimilating? Because, you know, Americans can, because most Americans don't travel abroad because we're separated from a lot of countries by an ocean and, and all that. Um, I think many Americans would find moving abroad daunting. How was that for you? Was the language an issue? Was cultural adaptation or, or homesickness ever an issue? Or how, how, how was that for you? So I, when I told my dad that I was going to move to Costa Rica, I might as well have been telling him that I was going to move to the Middle East. Okay. Um, it was a very, very large shock. However, after, you know, he's done all of his research, I mean, Costa Rica, and Costa Rica, Costa Rica for Americans is one of the, is the only country in Central America that you, that we can buy land and any other country, Americans cannot buy land without a cosigner that is a local here in Costa Rica, you can buy land. So Costa Rica does a good job of making it easy for Americans to come down here. And they also make it easy for the residency process. Um, however, some of the things here that are, are, are a huge culture shock is the total lack of inefficiency across practically everything. Um, and I think that that's why a lot of people, they, 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 they get frustrated here. Uh, so you can, for example, the internet went out in the office. I feel like this is, this looks happen anywhere, but, um, you know, it, it was out for a week and finally we found someone we knew and the company who came and looked at it off unofficial visit, but things like that. I spent four months without internet at home and I went to the office every single day. It was super polite. Like, hi, I still have to still don't have internet. Can you please send someone to look at it? And so just a total lack of inefficiency uh, can lead to extreme stress. Uh, and some other things here, if you have to make a deposit in the bank, you could be there two and a half hours and that's normal. Uh, so that's another thing that is extreme lack of inefficiency. Uh, things like bill pay, PayPal, those things aren't really common here. So most of the contractors that come over and help us out or work for me or kind of help us out with our baby or at the house, it's all cash. There's not a lot of electronic transactions here. So that's another challenge. And I think, I guess, I guess the main theme of one of the, the big challenges here is just the banking in, in, in itself. That's interesting. Now, in, in Costa Rica, I, 
my understanding is a fairly large American population, as you said, you know, that they, they are deliberately trying to attract American retirees. Do you ever interact with them or do have you decided to, to kind of keep yourself as, as locally embedded as possible? So when I first moved here, the first year and a half I was here, I was in a a rural uh, Costa Rica and I was the only foreigner in the whole town. Uh, And so um, I really enjoyed that. I intentionally didn't want to move to the area I'm living now because I'm like, oh, it's just a bunch of foreigners. I'm not here to live with foreigners, so I don't want to live there. And the reason I ended up decided to move here is I I, I saw and it's just beautiful. Uh, The Lake Arenal area is just stunning. Uh, totally gorgeous. And so now I'm in this area. I think there, I think I read a stat that around Lake Arenal, which is 88 kilometers, um, like 88 square kilometers, there are over 5,000 houses owned by foreigners. That's not total foreigners. They're just 5,000 houses owned by foreigners, just to give you an idea of um, that, that, how large that population is in just this area. But you don't really feel it. I mean, there's, it's all green as far as you can see. There's not, you know, any high rise condos or anything like that. Uh, but because of where I live now, I do interact a lot more with with uh, foreigners. And that's always an interesting thing to see because you'll still see people who have been down here 30 years and never try to speak Spanish a day in their life. So there's just very interesting things that we'll see with with immigrants. It is remarkable. You know, I, I lived in um, former Soviet Union for a number of years and and. Yeah, I, I I took a similar I took a similar approach. I didn't live in the rural area; I lived in the city. But but I definitely limited my my access to Americans because I thought that it just would be too easy to to go back to that as a crutch and not assimilate, and that was going to impact my experience and frankly my ability to work in the country. Um, and, and you're you're right; it's it's amazing how many people, rather than try to learn the language, go through what I think is a much more difficult exercise of trying to get by without learning the local language. Um, but I guess it can be done. Um, so let me ask you, you've been there for five years. Um, do you feel like a native? And and if so, how long did it take you before you felt like, like Costa Rica was really your home and maybe America even feels more like the foreign country now? So it's interesting. That's an interesting question because the moment that I like that I, that I talked about earlier when I stepped off the shuttle at that farm, at that moment, I really felt that I had come home. It was it was just a really incredible moment. And I think move, moving down here, you know, maybe after a couple of months, that's when I really started to be comfortable. Um, I, I I spoke Spanish before I moved here, but not not fluent. I mean, I, like everybody, I took it in high school. I took a little more advanced than most people in high school. I mean, I got up to like advanced placement classes, but I hadn't spoken in 15 years. Yep. And so I did have a little bit of a head start coming down here because it wasn't just present tense. I mean, I think Spanish has 21 different tenses. Uh, so uh, I had I had some background, but it's still like, for example, to be in a restaurant with somebody and be listening to a conversation passively that took years to happen. You know, it took years for me to be able to sit down and listen to a conversation without having to actively listen to every word and process it in my mind and, and, and go through that. So from a language perspective, it took a couple of years to really feel completely comfortable, to feel comfortable calling the telecommunication companies, you know, to feel comfortable um, talking to, um, you know, somebody about business ideas in Spanish instead of English. Uh, So that took a couple of years as far as feeling like whether I'm at home, I totally feel that I'm a foreigner in the United States when I go back now. I just, I just, 
I I think the thing about Costa Rica that really is appealing to me, it's the first place I've ever felt like that I can be totally 100% myself. Hmm. And it's just, that's an awesome feeling. Well, it is. I mean, and, and you know, that, that's a great reason to move, you know, just we, we in America, we're, we're trained to think of people that come to the United States because that's, that's our, that's our mythos. That's sort of our thing. And then there are people that don't feel in place where they are. And so they, they come or at least try to come to the United States to, to build that new life for their, they're a better fit. But there are cases where, you know, Americans feel like they're a better fit just in a different, in a different culture different environments certainly sounds like that's been the case for you. Yeah, it's funny. One of the one of the times I went back to the United States a couple of years ago, uh, we went over to visit some of our friends who have a who have a or some of my friends who have kids. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was a tree in the backyard. So I climbed the tree. And um my my boyfriend at the time came down came over. He's like, get down from that tree. And I'm like, why? It's just a tree. I was just climbing it. He's like, you can't do that here. And it was just one of the first moments hmm. that I was like, wow, like it's just climbing a tree. Why is that such a big deal? But it just sort of made me realize that, you know, here you can kind of just do what makes you happy in the stage. There's a, there is a, an image you have to maintain and certain things you do and certain things that you don't, that are expected by society. And I think those expectations are so much more embedded in us as a culture in the States. And I think that that, that, that is something that is really appealing to me here is people are accepting of everybody. So uh, you're now with uh, you're now with your new company, uh, Founder Scale. Uh, how I'm, I'm curious, how has it mattered at all with your clients and prospects that you're not inside the United States, that you are in fact located, working out of, and and planning to you know just sit tight there in, in Costa Rica. So I think when I first moved down here, um, I did. So one of the one of the clients I currently have I've been working with since uh, since 2015, and he has been totally understanding of the internet uh, problems, and it's been it's been all it's been a great great working relationship. One of the clients that I had when I moved down here, they were they were fairly stressed with the internet issues. Um, I got a lot of pressure from them to like move to the city and and try to find somewhere that had better internet and. Um, I think that one of the one of the benefits of consulting for so many years is it becomes really easy to know the red flags and be aware of the questions that could cause friction after a contract sign and um, avoid that. So, you know, one of the things that I, I like, I'm very open with and upfront with clients when I talk to them, um, even though I do have great internet, I mean, there's power outages here. I mean, some, you know, like there's, there's, there's plenty of things that are out of control in a way that may maybe wouldn't be out of control in the States. And so I'm very upfront with clients and I let them know, like, Hey, I don't always have great internet. You know, sometimes we may not be able to connect via video. Sometimes we may not be able to connect at all. Um, so I give them, I lay out those expectations. Um, but then I kind of go a step further now and I'm like, Hey, I may be out two hours a day going on a hike, or I may be out two hours a day surfing. Uh, just so there's an expectation of that, not always on, always available. Um, so that's just not an expectation. And so living here has helped really identify like what, what client, what my clients need to know to, to feel that they can always contact me, but more than like, more than all of that, you, I just have to do really freaking awesome work all the time. And then my location's never an issue. Like yeah. that's really the secret. I think so many people come to Costa Rica and they, they ask me, how do you make it work? Like, how do you get clients? How do you, how do you stay here? And 
I mean, getting clients, fortunately, I have a great network in Atlanta that has just worked through referrals since I moved down here. So that has been a blessing. But getting keeping clients is just doing awesome work. And if you do awesome work, no matter where you are, the client really isn't going to care about your location. You know, I think that's right. You know, I think that, um, and really the, the big issue is not that you are remote. It's just you happen to be in a place where the internet is not all that, at least was not all that, all that reliable. Um, if you'd had that same issue saying, I'm not going to pick it on the say Fort Wayne, Indiana, you'd, you'd still have that same issue, right? So um, it was, it was just the infrastructure, but what's kind of interesting is that sounds like it, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, so feel free to tell me to fly a kite, but it sounds like it, in a way it forced you to confront what is the ideal client and, and really force them and, and force in yourself sort of a discipline of the right client to take that if it's, if, if it's a client that just needs me to be available 24 seven with 99.9% uptime, that's just not the client that you're going to serve. And, and I suspect you didn't move to Costa Rica just so you could bring that stress level down there with you, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that like for right now, I am working with a client that is the best client I've worked with in my entire career. And I look at this and I'm like, this is sort of pinnacle because, you know, it's taken years to get here. Um, and I think the other big thing too, with working remote, it's over communication. And this is something that I've been working with for the past five years. So over communicating everything. And now that COVID, like ever since COVID started, like I've feel, felt like I've been at a competitive advantage because I've already been doing this for five years. You know, like when COVID started, everyone's like, oh no, we got to go work from home. And they're working through the issues of how to communicate because it's a lot more difficult when you can't just walk up to someone's desk or, you know, if someone's like, Hey, just let me know when like talk to me when I'm not busy, like we lose that now that we're working remote. And so I think that I'm kind of, I've been at a competitive advantage from the communication perspective. Um, but I, I think that, you know, any, any, any client you want to work with anywhere, I think it really comes down to communication, um, and clarity and communication and clarity and expectations. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, as as it happens, I've I've effectively worked from home most of the time, at least for ten years. And you know, at the end of the day, for most companies, if you're if you're performing, as I like to say, if you're throwing up the numbers, because I'm a finance guy, if you're throwing up the numbers, nobody cares where you are. Right? People only start to care about that if you're not throwing up the numbers. In fact, the smart company says, and one of the companies I worked for, Apria, was smart about this. They said look, this is not what we would advise our other employees to do, but it seems to work for you and we're not going to get in the way of it. So <laughs> you go, you go do you. And um, I, I think one thing that does give people like you and me that advantage because we've been working remotely as a, as a matter of course for so long is we do have those more advanced sensibilities and communication skills. And we know how, we know what's going wrong when our microphone doesn't work or camera doesn't work because we've had to do that when it wasn't, when it wasn't nearly as easy to fix for one. Um, and, and, you know, clients have, have come to accept that, you know, it, they've come to realize that it's the, the in-person contact doesn't matter. And, and we've also had to deal, we've also had to build better management systems. You cannot, you know, the, a lot of managers can, can, can outwork their mistakes by, by quote, managing by walking around. Right, you go around, you fix things. That's also micromanagement. You manage, you manage after the fact, not not before. You cannot do that now. If you try to manage that way now, you will get killed. 
Yep. Yep. That's, that's so true. And I think that's, I think that's another, you bring up a really good point too, when you were talking about identifying the right people to work with, that's another factor that always that always look out for is the, the micromanager questions or the, the micromanagement questions, uh, because that's another uh, red flag for, I guess, really for, for, I mean, being an employee too, not just a contractor. Yeah, I think that's right. I, mean, I manage a team of three and, um, you know, one's across town in Atlanta, but a couple of them are, are in Ohio. And, you know, I, I, I can't go to their desk and look over the shoulder and make sure things are being done right. So, you know, you, but at the end of the day, it's about better management. So I'm curious, um, you know, working in, in, in Costa Rica, living in Costa Rica, have you picked up any, any local clients or, you know, is that even a realistic possibility where you are? So that's definitely on the roadmap. Um, so one of the, like Founderscan, one of the technologies we heavily focus on is HubSpot. Um, and we we help companies better utilize that technology to generate revenue. And so um, building, we're, I'm in the process of building a team here right now. Um, but as far as signing local clients, uh, we haven't, we haven't started going down that road yet for a couple of reasons. One, um, Price the price point is very different for for a client. I mean, I, I this is actually an assumption, so I I should val I should validate this before uh, saying it. But my assumption would be that the price point a U.S. based client would pay would be very different than the price point a Costa Rican based client would pay. Um, it could be wrong, but I think it, I, think, I think that would be my assumption. Um, and then two, one of the things that I've I've seen is most of the business in Costa Rica really does happen in the city. Uh, so for example, there's, there's a chapter of entrepreneurs organization down here that I was looking to get plugged into. And in order to really, I mean, everybody who participates is really in the city. Uh, so I think that, I think that that in itself could be a hindrance because I have no desire to travel to the city, not even for a quick trip. You know, San Jose is about four hours from me. The last time I went, I went to go buy running shoes, eight hour round trip to go buy running shoes. I would not want to do that trip on a on a monthly or even a bi monthly basis. Uh, so I think that some of it is my reluctance to go to the city uh, because yeah. I didn't move down here to be in the, to be in the city. Uh, and I guess the other side is just getting getting our team to a point where we can handle having international clients because I would love to offer I would love to be able to work with um, you know Spanish first clients versus English first clients. Uh, so that's as in the roadmap, but I don't see that really manifesting for probably another year or so. Okay. We're talking with Maria Joyner of Founderscale, and the topic is, should I become a digital nomad? So a, a question I think that a lot of folks in your position must must wrestle with is, um, how how easy is it for you to get back to the United States if something happened that were a true emergency, maybe a family emergency or something? Is it is it hard to get back to the United States? Is that something that concerns you? Is that something you've had planned out? Where are you with that in your mind? So fortunately where I live, um, I'm, I'm an hour away from the Liberia airport. So there's two airports in Costa Rica. There's Liberia, which is in the North Pacific and San Jose, which is in the uh, central part of the country. And so, um, for COVID times, I mean, I'm sure things would be a little bit more complicated right now just because of the availability of flights, but in, in previous, um, emergencies, um, for example, my, you know, a couple of years ago, my grandfather, uh, I found out he was being rushed to the hospital and I just had a feeling and the next day I was on a plane. Um, and so it was very simple. I mean, if, if cost isn't a problem, it's, it's pretty simple to get back to the United States right now with COVID. Um, I know that 
you know, the, the availability of flights is, is, is a concern. Um, but, you know, historically I haven't, it hasn't been an issue to, to just drop and go. Okay. Um, what about, what about access to healthcare? Has, have you had to use the local healthcare system? Has it been an issue for you? So I had a child, uh, a year ago and a lot of, um, you know, I live in an area where there are a lot of, um, you know, women with children and most of them that were, that are American immigrants, they opted to use a private hospital to have their childcare birth, which you pay, I think five grand for that. And, you know, so I had the option of using free healthcare because if you are a pregnant woman in Costa Rica, you're protected by law and you get, you get taken care of your baby's taken care of with no charge. Uh, and so I use the public healthcare system and my, my experience was great. Um, I, you know, I look at things like, like giving birth, people have been doing that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's not like it's, you know, some you know, uh, super specific surgery right, or you're not something. growing a new limb. Exactly. <laughs> and so I, I had a lot of faith in the system and I had a great experience. Um, but some of the things that my American friends who were having children were asking me, like, Oh, did you get this test? Or did you get that test? Or did they tell you this? Or did they tell you that? I think the availability of information the availability of tests and a lot of the things that, you know, we may have in the United States being in the first, being in first world, that stuff is here, but not necessarily available in the public healthcare system. Um, and, but honestly, for me, I kind of liked that I wasn't bombarded with all the different things that were medically available to me and that I would, that we just focus on the basics. So I had a great experience. Um, I mean, I found some of the, the checkups to be a little redundant, you know, they'd ask the same questions in every checkup. You know, so I guess I guess it is in the states too. Now that I'm thinking about it, they always ask. Yeah, the same I don't questions. think that's unique to to Costa Rica. Yeah, no, um, but I've had good experiences with it, and um, I've also had like an emergency experiences with the healthcare system, and it's it's all been it's all been great for me. Uh, so I feel fairly confident that um, like staying here long term, that I'll be taken care of. Um. What about what about taxes? I'm not trying to get into a specific situation, your specific situation, of course. But I'm curious do you do you have to pay taxes both in the U.S. and Costa Rica? Does one get offset the other? How has that worked for you? So um, my company is U.S. based. Well, my clients are U.S. based. So right now, um, and I don't own any land in Costa Rica right now. So okay. all of my taxes I pay are in the United States as of right now. Um, in the event uh, that I open a bank account here or that I buy land here, I will, well, if I open a bank account here, I think legally I have to report that money to the United States and there is some foreign exclusion or foreign income exclusion. Yep. However, um, my income is in the United States, so I haven't gone that route. And the other, the other uh, upcoming event that would require me to pay taxes in Costa Rica would be buying property here. Um, because there are property taxes. Uh, so right now it's just United States. Okay. And, and that explains why you're, you're going to the bank a lot. Um, <laughs> I remember when I lived in Minsk and I'd, I'd be paid in dollars and then somebody would have to wire it over to a correspondence bank and then actually physically go pick up my cash. I don't know if that works exactly that way for you, but I'm familiar with those bank trips. Yeah, I think the big thing with the bank is if I have to if I have to deposit money into a Costa Rican account here, the option is doing a wire transfer, which we I mean that you know it's just a little too complicated um, to to just do that for everyday transactions, and I guess that does add up. So it's just usually going in and making deposits in the bank because uh, I still utilize all my U.S. banks here. 
Uh, so just kind of a, anybody who's listening to this that does want to be a digital nomad, there are two banks that I recommend. Uh, Charles Schwab has a, a high yield checking account uh, that, okay. that's connected to a brokerage account and they, re- they refund all ATM fees. So you're going to be pulling out a lot of cash and foreign, I mean, at least, you know, abroad. So Charles Schwab refunds any fees charged by banks. And there are banks down here that charge $9. Mm. Uh, so that, that really is a big help. Um, and then Capital One, uh, they don't refund the ATM fees, but uh, their Capital One accounts are, they don't do foreign transaction fees. And they, it's very simple to move money in between your accounts. Um, and so those are the two banks that, you know, I recommend people get before they come down here. Um, I have friends who still use credit unions from, from the states who are living down here. And they're, the monthly fees that they accumulate are in the thousands of dollars between foreign transaction fees and ATM fees. We're, uh, we're running out of time, but uh, I want to sneak in a couple more questions before we let you go. And one, I'm curious, now that you've been here for a good long time, and I mean, you've had such a life experience here from moving down here to getting married to having a baby. I mean, you've, you've really been through it. If you had to do it all over again in terms of the process of moving down and getting yourself settled and, and integrated, is there anything that you do differently? So I am, I, you know, I think that if I did anything differently, it would have drastically affected any, every part of my experience. But I will say that when I first moved down here the first year and a half, we uh, tried doing a community style farm. So we had two couples and then one other, a couple of other people living in one house, uh, working on a farm together, growing our food, cooking meals together and all of that. I would probably not do that again. That was a very challenging experience. Um, and But I knew, I really knew that I was down in Costa Rica for a reason. And because of that, because I felt like I knew that this is where I wanted to be, it was, it was easy for me to go through very difficult experiences as part of that community living, because I knew that, I knew that these experiences were going to get me where I eventually needed to go. Um, but that would really, that would be the big thing that I would change would be, I probably wouldn't have tried living doing the community living experiment. Okay. Well, Maria, this has been great. And and I think our listeners, if they're thinking about the digital nomad um, life experience, I think there's a lot they can learn from what you've described and discussed in this episode. If uh, somebody has a question they want to follow up with and that we haven't touched on or didn't go deep enough for them, is it okay if they contact you? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to talk to anybody uh, who who is interested in Costa Rica or uh, being a digital nomad, even though I'm not too nomadic these days. Uh, I think the best way to contact me would be on Twitter, at Maria Joyner is my handle. Uh, and that would be the, the the best way to get a response. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And, and that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Maria Joyner so much for joining us and sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 